Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, we're taking obviously a week out of our 2 Corinthian series as we, we focus on this Easter Sunday morning upon uh, what we are worshiping for, why we are here, what's this all about. Matthew 28, it says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, now today as we, as we have sought to worship you, the living one, will you use your word, use it in our lives, in our hearts, Will you open our, our hearts and our minds to be able to hear you and to follow? And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, last week on Palm Sunday, uh, Dr. Jerome Adams, the U.S. Surgeon General, made this ominous statement. He said, this is going to be the hardest and saddest week of most Americans' lives. And for many Americans, that's been the case. Now I want you to... Uh, to go back in, in time, turn the clock back, not to last Sunday, but go back some 2,000 years and understand this. That statement could have been made to those who are following Jesus. This is going to be they could have been told on Palm Sunday, 
the hardest and saddest week of your lives. It could have been said to the disciples. It could have been said to the women who followed Jesus, to all of his followers. And the reality is, that statement could have been made to Jesus. And it would have been true in every case. But then something changed in that week. And that's what we're going to look at. What was it that changed it to the hardest and saddest week of their life into a completely new and different era in their lives? We're going to focus on the end of the week But uh, for now, I want us, in order to understand uh, the part we're focusing on, let's, let's walk through some of the things that they had faced that week. Because it was a, it was a complete roller coaster uh, for the followers of Jesus. You have them on, on Palm Sunday, Jesus with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. People worshiping, people celebrating, doing it admittedly for many mo- different kinds of motivations, but nevertheless, it was an exciting day, certainly for the followers of Jesus. And then we see him cleansing the temple again, the second time in his ministry. We see him then later back at the temple. He's being challenged by uh, the religious leaders of the day. They're trying to catch him, to, to make him contradict himself or contradict the law of God, to, to get something on him in, in order to discredit him, to stop him. But they failed. His disciples and followers had to be on top of the world by midweek as they were looking forward to uh, celebrating Passover together. And then, when they celebrated Passover, later that evening, seemingly out of nowhere from his disciples' perspective, Jesus is arrested. He is put through a a, a night of, of torture, of beatings, of illegal trials. Ultimately, he is railroaded into a into a death sentence. And he's crucified. And then it's over. They put him in the grave. All of that in in less than two days. We can only imagine the the bewilderment, the lost feeling, the depression, the questions, what has this all been about that they must have been feeling at that point. And then we get to what we're going to look at today. 
early Sunday morning, after that week that I have just described. What we're going to do is that uh, we're, we're going to look at, at the four gospel accounts. We're going to do it very briefly, but we see parallels in those accounts and some differences, which, by the way, even in those differences, it affirms that, that these were true accounts. The differences don't contradict one another, but some add more detail than, than others. And I know that if Connie and I even are looking at the same scene, that uh, we will notice different things in that very same scene. And if we were describing it, we would describe it in different ways, and both of us could be right. So that, that just affirms when you see in these gospel accounts the truth of them. But what we're going to look at is the, the encounters after Jesus' burial where fear arose along with a lot of other very, very difficult emotions. First of all, in the, in the passage that I just read to you, uh, I just want to point out a couple of, of places in here in Matthew 28. If you look in, in verse 5, they are at the tomb And it says, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Now, the angel knew exactly what their emotions were at that point. That's why he sought to comfort them. So he knew that they were absolutely uh, full of of fear. Why? Well, they had come to the tomb and, and it was empty. That's not what they expected. They didn't understand it. And so they experience this this great turmoil and fear. That's why he sought to comfort them in that way. Then we go down to verse 8 in the same passage in Matthew 28. It says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with, again, fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And then we see that they, they meet up with Jesus. Jesus meets them down in verse 10. And it says this, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. There it is again. He he knew their heart. He knew that in their heart they were absolutely full of fear. But he also knew that at that moment, the most profound thing they needed to hear was don't be afraid. Let's go to the second gospel in in Mark. In Mark 16, we'll just look at a couple of uh, verses there. In Mark 16, verse 6, again, at the tomb, and again, the angel. And here's, here's how he put it. He said to them, do not be alarmed. Now again, that word is a, it's a very, very strong emotion. Uh, it's translated in the version I'm using, alarmed. In the older version, uh, versions, it, it, it says, uh, don't be affrighted. We wouldn't use a word like that, but I think you, you get the idea. It was, it was fear. It was astonishment. It was an intense emotion. And that's what they were going through during this time. Then down in verse 8 of Mark 16. And they went out and they fled from the tomb 
for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So what do we see here? They absolutely, they just ran away. They got away from that place, but they were petrified. Petrified to where they they couldn't even speak, even though that's what they were told to do. They were just stuck because of the fear that they had. The third gospel in Luke, Luke 24. Again, we have uh, the women at the empty tomb, and down in verse 4 of Luke 24, it says, uh, while they were perplexed about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And that's what I want us to, to notice here. So we have, again, the fear. They were, they were perplexed. They were, they were frightened. But notice, they bowed their faces to the ground. Dejection. Depression. All of these emotions were flooding into them as they're trying to interpret what they're seeing. And then we go down to verse 36 in Luke 24. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. There it is again. And they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Now there it is. That's not not only an emotion, but Jesus looking into their, their hearts, seeing how fearful they were, but also seeing that doubts were arising with all of these emotions during this time. And then we move to the fourth gospel. In the gospel of John, in chapter 20 and verse 19. Now we're to the evening of the first day of the week. It says, on the evening of that day, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. You know what they were doing. They were self-quarantining, weren't they? They had gathered together and they had a fear, not just of the circumstances, but of of people out there, of, of actual threats to them. So let me summarize from these four Gospels what caused the fear and, and depression and anxiety. First of all, they'd been through a crazy, unbelievably stressful uh, week. Of course. And all of those emotions are coming out. Secondly, they're looking for Jesus' body and they couldn't find it. So that which they thought, you know, their whole world is crashing down around them, but they, they thought, well, at least we can go and do this. And they went and his body wasn't even there. Thirdly, they couldn't interpret the present situation. 
They, they couldn't figure it out. Nothing in their world to even compare it to. Does that sound familiar? You know, during this time, I've talked with a lot of my uh, friends who are pastors. And I don't care whether they're new to the ministry or been in ministry a, a long, long time. We're all saying that same thing. We have no framework for this. There's no way we could have prepared for this. We're not taught how to deal with this kind of a situation. And so it, it, it makes it confusing. It makes it even, even more stressful. And I know you're feeling that too. The fourth thing from these Gospels is they didn't know what tomorrow would bring. They didn't know if they were in danger. They didn't know if, if they would be killed like Jesus was because they were his followers, that, that was, uh, they were next in line. They had a real fear of their circumstances. And then fifth, everything was out of control. Most people like to feel like they're in control. But it was obvious to them that everything about this situation was out of control. So now I want us to look at these same passages uh, even more briefly and not necessarily in, in the order that we went through these. But I want us to look at what helped them those were the things that, that caused the fear, the distress in their life. What helped them? What are the assurances that helped their fear? I'm going to give you six that I see in here, and I'm sure there are many more. Uh, but first of all, it was the resurrection itself. Earlier I said that, that something in their week changed, and that's what it was. Seeing the empty tomb. Seeing Jesus. In Mark 16, verse 7, it says, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they've laid him? So, at first, and I want you to take note of this, at first, it was actually the empty tomb that caused them distress. That made them afraid because that wasn't what they expected. But now, it was actually that very same scene. The empty tomb and then later seeing Jesus that began to deal with that fear they had. And to this day, the empty tomb is one of the important proofs of the resurrection. You know, when, when you go to uh, Jerusalem, if you go to the Holy Land, you don't go to see where Jesus is buried. You do that with other heroes all over the world, even those who started other world religions. But you go to Jerusalem today, all you can visit is an empty tomb because he's not there. So the second assurance 
for those in this kind of distress and with all this fear were words of comfort directly from Jesus. He starts with, don't be afraid. And then we see over in John chapter 20, when, when Jesus sees their fear of man and fear for their lives, he says, peace be with you. He says it twice. That's the first things that he said to them. Some of the very first words of Jesus after the resurrection were words of peace. And if ever there was a time we need to hear words of peace from Jesus, it's now. So here's a question. Here's an application. Who are you going to listen to in order to determine your mood or your emotions? If you're watching TV a lot during this time, I I can promise you, you're going to be filled with fear. Because that's what the media thrives on. I'm not bashing the media. It is just a reality. Do you remember this last year? uh, We here in, in South Carolina watched for a week as Hurricane Dorian was coming towards us and all of the predictions and, and all of the preparations that everyone made and, and then it kind of went away. But it was 24-7 how bad this can be. Now look, I'm not minimizing what is actually going on. We need to stay informed. We need to obey the health guidelines. But you and I have to decide where our help will come from. The media thrives on fear. Jesus speaks of and offers peace. To whom will you go for comfort? And then thirdly, they got a reminder of Jesus' words. Not only words directly from Jesus, but a reminder in in Luke 24, verse 6. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And then it says, and they remembered his words. Do you ever need to be reminded of something? Of course you do. We all do. Or have you had a situation where you looked back on a statement that, that didn't really make sense at the time, but then as you look back on it, it all of a sudden makes sense. That's, that's what was going on here. That's what he meant by that. They had heard Jesus say those things. They heard him say it in various ways while he was teaching, but it just didn't register with them, understandably so. But now as they looked back, it helped them to interpret what was going on right now. They could say, oh yeah, he did say this would happen. And even that brought them comfort. This was no surprise to Jesus. They finally understood. 
And then the fourth assurance is because Christ is alive, even in times of fear, there is hope. Look at this verse, and I, I just found this fascinating. I'd never noticed it before in Matthew 28, 8. It says, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Fear and great joy. I, I found that to be encouraging as well, is that, that they didn't have to be totally over their fear in order to have joy over the resurrection of Jesus. They still had some fear. But they also had great joy, and the fear no longer paralyzed them. It was in context. And so their hearts were ministered to. And then the fifth assurance was his presence. His very presence gave them assurance. John 19, verse 19. says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He's saying, look, it's really me. You saw these wounds being inflicted. Then it says, they were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. His very presence helped them. And we all know and understand what that's like. We know how comforting that can be. In fact, I think we would agree that that's one of the things that makes this time even harder is that we're, we're not together as well as we would be to rejoice with one another and to, to grieve with one another and to comfort one another. But Jesus, within days, would say to them, before he ascended into heaven, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Now, how could he do that? Well, that brings us to the sixth assurance, also in John 19. He had said, peace be with you. And then in verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that helpful? Last week, we talked about uh, comfort and the comforter and, and the fact that the, that's the, the name of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And so, remember, n- not long after him saying this, he's going to ascend into heaven, but he has given them the Holy Spirit and he told them earlier, it's better for me to go. It's better for you that I go. And they said, it can't be better. And here's one reason why it's better. Because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is the Spirit of Christ, now will dwell in all of His people wherever they are, whatever they're going through. If He was still here in His body, He would be in one place. And we'd all be trying to get close to Him. But instead, He gave His Holy Spirit so that he is keeping that promise, 
I am with you even to the end of the age. Now let me give you an application here. And it's uh, from our, our passage as well. And it is that if we really believe he's alive, it should lead us to worship. In verse 9 of that passage, it said, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. That was the only possible response. Not to question him, not to say what's really going on. All they could do when they were confronted with the living Christ was to, to worship him. And that's why what we're doing today is so important. I don't think there's anything we could do even in these very different and difficult circumstances. There's nothing better we can do than to worship the living Christ. So here's what I want to leave you with. This Easter, because of the circumstances may have put you in a better position than you've ever been in to consider and to grasp the importance of the resurrection. Let me explain, whether it's true or not. Whether this resurrection is for real or whether it's just a, some kind of a Christian myth. Here's what I mean by that. For you who like to be in control, you know you who are in our, our congregation, I often say control is an illusion. And I think we're all feeling that right now. I don't remember another Easter when it was more obvious that these things are out of our hands. Secondly, for you who find your security in your health, in your job, in your family, in your income, in your nest egg, in your retirement. We've all seen that security threatened in, in multiple ways. But because of that, we've got to consider where then really is our security. And then... Thirdly, for, for you whose faith has been weak or absent, you who've never come to faith, I want to encourage you to look again. Look again. Consider again if Jesus is alive. If he is not alive and in control, then you can only go back to your fear and try to figure it out and try to find your own way. If, on the other hand, Jesus walked out of the tomb because he had overcome death, if he is alive today and in control, he is your hope. He is your opportunity for peace. And if you will seek Him and trust in Him for eternal life, 
you have that opportunity. If you do trust him, the pandemic will not go away. But it will give you hope in the middle of what's going on. And the opportunity for hope and peace for once this situation is over and for going forward with your life. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask that you would help us, that your Holy Spirit would enable us to know that the Lord Jesus is indeed alive. And that that would bring hope and comfort and peace even in the middle of all of this. But not only for now, but for after this is over. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.